I'm going to get going today, if you don't mind. Um, so uh, we have this week and next week of this class, and then uh, I think Brad Morrow will be teaching a class in here on Sundays after that for a while. Uh, but today, um, well, we're going to have a bit of a kind of a summary of Job and kind of talk about some connections to the rest of the Bible, some pretty cool ways that things connect that I never never realized until recently. And then um, next week we'll talk about just generally the problem of pain and suffering in the world and like how that impacts us as Christians and what to do and how to talk to people about that. Um, kind of wanted to have two weeks on that, but I got sick a week, so you could just miss out on one of those. So last week, um, just a quick review of yes, last week, went through chapter 42 in which Job apologizes to God, God chews out his friends, and Job prays for his friends, and then Job has his physical blessings restored to him. Um, and on the surface, it's just kind of, this chapter is kind of wrapping up things in a nice bow. It's kind of like, Job suffered, but he still loved God, so everything, he, like, he lived happily ever after. But um, there's a lot more to it than that. Some people have, I mentioned, some people have some serious problems with how Job gets his stuff back, um, as far as, like, um, particularly the fact that giving his stuff back and giving him more kids doesn't erase the pain and suffering at the, that he went through at the hands of God throughout the rest of the book. Um, and, and getting 10 more kids doesn't take away the pain of losing 10 kids. I mean, that's never going to go away. Uh, but God never makes the claim that this restoration was supposed to erase Job's suffering, nor was it something that God rewarded Job for being good, um, nor was God obligated to do this to Job, for Job. It, it wasn't this retribution idea or this mercenary religion thing. Um, God made it clear that our wisdom is not his wisdom, and things are a lot more complex and vast than we could understand. And there are a lot of moving parts in this universe. Uh, and God is the only one who can track it. And God wasn't necessarily trying to reward Job for being good. I mean, he could have if he wanted to be doing that, but that's, he wasn't... My point is, he wasn't bound by that. It wasn't that Job did good, so he had to be treated well. I think God was giving Job a gift, and like fathers do sometimes. And I'll, I'll say more about this in the, at the end of this chapter, because at the end of this class, because this chapter has a lot of these uh, new connections that I've never seen before to lots of stuff. But this week, I want to, um, it's kind of, like I said, it's kind of a summary, and, um, but first I want to watch, the, I mentioned this video last week, this, uh, by the, done by the Bible Project on Job, and they, they have a couple videos on Job. One of them's a lot more detailed, it's like 12 minutes long, and, and go through the, the whole outline of the book and everything, but this is a really good summary and kind of a wrap-up of the book, and you'll notice some, they clearly use some of this, a lot of the same source material as me, and I stole a lot of stuff from them as well, so um, you'll hear a lot of the phrases that I use in this class, and that's one of the reasons I love these guys, but, so well, let's go and watch this video. It's about seven minutes long, and then we'll continue in class. There are three books in the Bible known as the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. 
The first, Proverbs, showed us that God is wise and just. Yeah, we learned that God has ordered the world so that it's fair. The righteous are rewarded, the wicked are punished. In other words, you get what you deserve. But then we meet Ecclesiastes, who observes, well, people don't always get what they deserve. Uh, yeah, he said the world isn't always fair, that life is unpredictable and hard to comprehend, just like smoke. And this makes you wonder, okay, well, is God wise and just? Exactly. And so it's that question that is being explored in the final book of wisdom, Job. All right, let's dive in. So Job begins with a strange story that takes place up in the heavens, which are described something like a heavenly command center. So God is there with these angelic creatures called the sons of God, and they're all there reporting for duty. And God points out this guy Job, his servant, showing how righteous and good he is. And then one of these angelic creatures approaches. He's referred to in Hebrew as the Satan. The Satan? Who is this? Well, this word is actually a title, which literally means the one who is opposed. So out of this whole crew, he is the one questioning how God is running the world. And he proposes that Job might not actually love God, that he's only a good person because God rewards him. If God were to take away all of the good things he gave to Job, then we would see his true colors. So he thinks Job is just working the system? That's exactly right. Maybe he's obeying just to get what he wants. So God agrees to this experiment and allows the Satan to inflict suffering on Job. And Job loses everyone and everything that he cares about. It is devastating. And remember, he deserves none of this. God himself said so. The remarkable thing is that in the midst of all this suffering, Job still praises God. At least for chapters 1 and 2. But then in chapter 3, we find out how he's really feeling inside. He unleashes this poem that reveals his devastation. It's a long, elaborate curse on the day that he was born. After this, some of Job's friends come to visit him to offer their help. And all of them are like, Job, you must have done something horribly wrong to deserve this. After all, we know God is just, and we know the world is ordered by God's justice and fairness, so... You must be getting what you deserve. And for the next 34 chapters, the friends and Job go back and forth in very dense Hebrew poetry. His friends keep speculating about why God might have sent such suffering. And they even start making up lists of hypothetical sins that Job must have committed. But after each accusation, Job defends his innocence. And Job is innocent. He is. He's also on an emotional roller coaster. At some moments, he's very confident that God is still wise and just. Yeah, in other moments, he's doubting God's goodness. He even comes to accuse God of being reckless, unfair, and corrupt. So by the end of the dialogue, Job demands that God come and explain himself in person. And God does so. He comes in the form of a great storm cloud. Now, God doesn't give Job a direct answer. He doesn't tell Job about the conversation with the Satan. Yeah, he does something very different. He takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe. He shows Job how grand the world is. And he asks him if he's even capable of running it or understanding it just for a day. 
He shows Job how much detail there is in the world, things that we might see every day but really don't understand at all. But God does. He knows it all intimately. He pays attention to the beauty and operations of the universe in ways that we haven't even imagined and in places that we will never see. Then to conclude, God shows Job two wondrous beasts and brags about how great they are. Yeah, they are dangerous. I mean, they would kill you without even thinking about it. And God says they're not evil. They're actually a part of his good world. And then that's it. That's God's whole defense. It's kind of weird. I mean, what was this all about? It seems to be this. From Job's point of view, it looks like God is not just. But God's perspective is infinitely bigger. He's dynamically interacting with a whole universe of complexity when he makes decisions. And this is what God calls his wisdom. So Job asking God to defend himself is actually kind of absurd. He couldn't comprehend this kind of complexity even if he wanted to. So... Where does this leave us? Well, it leaves Job in a place of humility. He never learned why he suffered. And yet, he's able to live in peace and in the fear of the Lord. But that's not where the book ends. Because after this, God restores to Job double everything he had lost. And this, again, is surprising. I mean, is this a reward? Is God saying, congratulations, Job, you passed this elaborate test? No. I mean, the whole book just made the point that Job losing everything was not a punishment. And so now getting it back isn't a reward. So why does he get it back? Well, apparently, God, in his wisdom, decided to give Job a gift. We don't know why. But what we do know is that Job is now the kind of person who, no matter what comes, good or bad, he can trust God's wisdom. And that's the book of Job and the end of our wisdom series. These biblical books of wisdom are amazing. Each one offers a unique perspective on the good life, and you need to hear all of them together as you learn to live with wisdom and in the fear of the Lord. Okay. I, lo- I love those videos that they, they do such a good job explaining stuff. Um, and kids like him too. So um, I'm not going to go through like the entire book piece by piece like we've done past ten weeks or so. Uh, you, I'll let you guys read back, uh, listen back to the uh, audio of the classes online if you if you want to. Um, but generally, as as I said in the video, that it's about a perfect man who has the perfect life and suffers for no reason. He's blameless and righteous and feared God. Um, Everything about him was ideal, and he's thrown into chaos. And when his friends come to comfort him, they make make things worse. Um, And God comes to make it clear that it's not because Job did something wrong, but only I understand what's going on, basically. It's the world's too complex. Um... And I've mentioned throughout this class that I think the book Job is, I think this book is not necessarily a historical accounting of something that happened. I mean, it could be. Uh, I'm not ruling that out. Uh, but to me, even the description of who Job is, where he's from, how perfect he's described as being, a lot of this stuff kind of points to this being a parable to me. Uh, a lot of, as some commentators put it, an Israelite wisdom experiment. In other words, 
take a theoretical person, put them in a theoretical situation, and kind of play that out and see what that teaches us about God and about life. Um, and to me, viewing this book as a parable helps me a lot to understand things in, in this book a lot better and makes more sense of what happens in this book uh, to me. I mean, God teaches parables through, all the time, through, through, through parables all the time. Why not now? But like I said, that's not a requirement of even the, my view on a lot of the things in this book. I think that it's, it's teaching the same thing either way. Um, it's, it's, the book is here to help us gain godly wisdom and to how to learn how to live for him in this crazy world that we're living in. Uh, so what, instead of going through all the pieces and parts, I want to go through um, kind of a summary of the ideas sort of in this book. So before I, want, I get started in that, I want to ask you guys a philosophical question that people have been debating for millennia. So we're going to solve it today. Is it possible to do a completely selfless act? Easy question, right? Yes. Yes. It, like what? You just asked me. Is it possible? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anybody else? <laughs> Jesus did? Okay. It's possible. Yeah. If you're walking in the path of Jesus, then you're going to do selfless acts. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, debate. Make it a debate. Yeah, that, that's really where the argument comes down to is if, if you do a selfless act here on the earth, isn't that just getting you in good with God? Isn't that just getting you closer to heaven and getting you treasures in heaven? Huh? Yeah, that shouldn't be the purpose. But the, the, that's one reason this has been a philosophical back and forth for forever is if, if you say no... Then, or if you say yes, then almost every example you give, somebody can possibly give like, a, well, maybe you're going to get like a little bit of shot of dopamine and may feel a little bit better about yourself. So you're doing it for yourself, you know. It, so it's like this round and round thing. Um, like, like Anne Rand and Richard Dawkins tell us things like it's impossible to be fully selfless because our genes only want what they want. And, like, Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The Selfish Gene. Like, everything that we do, in some way, is to further our species or whatever. And they even say that society would be better if everyone embraced the idea and strove to fulfill their own desires and were selfish. Like, if everyone was equally selfish, everything would be great. And that's kind of even the, the concept behind capitalism in a lot of ways, that if I'm doing what I, is going to make me the, the wealthiest and everybody's doing that same thing, it's, it's going to help things along. Um, there's a quote from a, 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 um, a, it's like a fantasy book that said, kindness without, without the promise of profit, sorry, kindness without the promise of profit is an impossibility. You must want something if you are to act. So looking back at Job with this question in mind, 
what would the author of Job have to say to this question? Yeah. I may not answer that question. I may go back to the okay. first question. Okay, I'm an EMT. I'm a firefighter. Mm-hmm. I go out there and I help someone who's been in an auto accident. You know, certainly there's an adrenaline rush. There's that charge of dopamine and you feel good from doing that. But I think it's not whether or not I get some type of reward for doing this act. It's what was the original motivation? Am I motivated because I want that adrenaline surge? Or am I <clears throat> motivated sur- sur- or solely out of wanting to help someone who's unable to help them- themselves, but I can? So I think the to define whether it's a selfless act or not isn't do I feel good afterwards, it's what was the motivation. And only the individual would know that. I don't think any of us could look at anything someone else is doing and asking is that a selfless act. If you're a multi-billionaire and you give Jeff a million dollars, I'll pick on Jeff, you probably are gonna feel, you're gonna feel really good at, about that. So did you do that? to feel good and to just puff yourself up that I gave Jeff this big gift or did you truly were you concerned about Jeff and wanted to do something for him only you know what the true motive was was it selfless or was it a selfish act that you performed no one else no one else it's just you and God only can really answer that question yeah I think a lot of it does come down to the motivation for sure. And, and it, it is between you and God. It's, it's one of these questions that cannot be asked for everybody or answered for everybody across the board. Um, but it's also one of those things that if, I, if I'm doing my best to be selfless in every way, I, I can't really, or if you are, I can't really come to you and say, well, you're not really totally selfish because this or that. Yeah. It comes from a grateful heart, yeah. Well, go ahead. David. Um, you know, I do think, so, you know, there's always this person that will come with those gold coins in the Salvation Army. Yeah. Around their Denver area. You know, yeah. Completely anonymous. But even then, you, you could see, imagine that that person intrinsically feels value. And, you know, so it's not just about others judging us. Sometimes we feel internally On the one hand, I can see this argument, but but I think we, we have to look at these. There are these acts in our history that make absolutely no sense, like the soldier that jumps on a hand grenade. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's really, you know, so so this everyday kindness, you know, I think is is one side of the argument, and you know, we end up feeling good, or we feel like we're pleasing God, or we feel like we're earning something, or storing up treasure, or having a sense of value, like I know my place on the earth, and that is kind of a reward. But I think, you know, to look at the question completely selfless act, I think it is possible, but I think those are kind of rare. It's possible but rare. Yeah, what you can say, like, yeah, there was this person getting lost everything in this act, um, as opposed to I hold the door open for you, and I feel kind of nice about that. Yeah. Possible but rare is probably fair. 
Um, I, it, this is really the question that kind of kicks off the book of Job. Um, so that's, it's the question that's being asked throughout the entire book, really. Uh, because when the challenger comes to say to God, he says, does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, can Job possibly serve God for purely selfless reasons? And what's the ultimate answer that, to that question in the book of Job? Yeah, the, the answer is yes, this is possible. Um, you can serve God and get nothing in return. That's the entire trial that God is being put through, sort of. Um, and Job, Job as well. It's like Job at the end in chapter 42, he's praying for his friends with no... I mean, he, he's in the worst situation he can possibly be in. He's still sitting in the ashes. And his friends come and ask him to pray for him, and he does and for no reason at all. And so that's the question that sets up the sufferings of Job. It also, it's also... The another question is, uh, it's like to, to validate, to, to see the validity of God's policies. And it also asks, is it a good idea for God to give gifts to a righteous person? Um, doesn't that just turn Job into a mercenary, or is he only serving God so he can get something in return? It, and it's kind of the opposite. of we, we often ask the question, why do good, bad things happen to good people? It's the opposite of that. It's kind of asking, why, why, why should good things happen to good people? Um, if it makes them worse. So let me, let me ask another question with kind of a general question with no context at all. If giving us a gift was going to damage us spiritually, do you think God would give it to us? If giving us a gift was going to damage us spiritually, do you think God would give it to us? Huh? We think about Solomon, okay? With his, his, all his gifts that he had, yeah? Okay, maybe it didn't damage him, yeah, Angela? We can trust his intentions, yeah, even in the gifts he gives us. Yeah. All good things come from him. Yeah, Nathan? I think I'm scared of this being a trick, so... It's, it's, not, it's not a trick. <laughs> but I think people get good things all the time that are bad for them. And so maybe another way to look at Job is to say, maybe not always are the things that are happening uh, God teaching us. Yeah, maybe not everything is a, a specific lesson. Yeah, so, so God is a good father, and when he is doing something, it's going to be a good thing. Um, but there are plenty of people who get good things, and maybe they're not <coughs> Yeah? Yeah, John? Yeah, 
God allows us to make choices with the things that we have. And honestly, I think that's one reason there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world, that we're given a gift and we do something bad with it. Yeah, David? Yeah, I think giving giving us good gifts and then we're allowed to choose what to do with them. Okay. So the second question is, if allowing us to suffer was going to help us spiritually, do you think God would allow us to suffer? I'm seeing lots of nods. Okay, that's, that's the right answer. Um, yeah, I, I think that these, to me, these questions capture a lot of the message of this book. Because I think that, I mean, maybe it's the way you phrase the first question or how you think of it. I think if God knows for sure that giving us a gift is going to make us worse spiritually, he's not going to do it. I think he does give us lots of gifts intended, back to the motivation thing. God gives us gifts intended for us to to help us. We're 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 allowed to change what we do with those away from the intention and make things worse for ourselves. I think the gifts that he gives are intended for, for good, for, for us to, to grow spiritually and get closer to him. But giving us gifts or allowing us to suffer would seem to be kind of opposite things. But back to the whole point of this book, God has true wisdom and we don't. Um, when bad or good things happen, we, we, we tend to focus on the reason why it happened. Is God trying to teach me a specific lesson, like Nathan was saying? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but we, we focus a lot on, on the reason instead of the purpose, like I mentioned last week. How true wisdom focuses on purpose. It's, it's more important than the reason. Um, like, what, what purpose can suffering serve? Uh, if you're going through suffering and pain, we want to know Why? We want to know why this thing happened. What's the reason that this happened? What is the specific example of, of, of life that God's trying to teach me or whatever? But trying to focus on the purpose that God might have for it is, is where we, I think we should be focusing on. Um, there's a great, great quote from one of the commentaries that I read. It said, said, We should assume that there are purposes, but that does not mean that we can or will ever know those purposes. The injustice, suffering, trials, and crises that we experience shape us into the people we are and the people God desires us to be. This truth is not intended to bring comfort to those suffering, nor does it do so. It's meant to bring understanding that might prevent us from committing Job's error, which is the easy solution of blaming God. And Jesus even kind of makes this point in John 9. 
It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Like, what's the reason? Jesus said, neither this man or his parents sinned, but, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes we know, like Jesus says, the, the purpose behind this man's blindness. And it may, may, may make us uncomfortable thinking that God had a, a, like, this person was blind because God made him that way. I, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of layers that you could peel back on this and make assumptions on things, but we do know that sometimes there are purposes. And it's kind of, it's, to me, it's a matter of sort, of sort of a personal opinion whether or not you think that there's always a purpose to everything that happens or um, that sometimes things just happen because we're in a messed up world. But I think that the ultimate purpose, kind of as Jeff was talking about in this lesson last week, the ultimate purpose is having a relationship with God and going to and serving him selflessly and if we can at all do, possibly do that. Um, and we may never know the purpose, but it all comes back to this. I keep putting this up here. Wisdom is not always understanding, but trusting in the God who does understand. And that's really the key lesson of this entire book is things happen. They're going to happen. That's part of humanity and part of living in, in, on, this, on this planet. You're going to suffer. You're going to have hard times. But, and you may never know why. You, and it may not matter. There may not be a why. But trusting in the God who does understand why because there's a lot more going on than we want to admit or that we can understand. What other lessons do you think we should grab from this book? Yeah, Kathy. Well, well back up. You raise your hand before I ask the question so you're allowed. Go ahead. Yes. That didn't turn out so well. For instance, quail in the in the wilderness. You know, the pig didn't want meat, I'll give meat. And so it hunting out of every orifice, you know. Uh, another example was a king. I, I don't it, we get the impression that it wasn't God's plan for them or will for them to demand a king like all the other nations around them. And that didn't turn out well, but God used it for his so it is a confusing thing there are examples of God rewarding good behavior and good choices and there are examples of God punishing bad choices and there are examples of the opposite as well and so it makes it a confusing thing as a human yeah how do we achieve a God you know who right yeah, the, the, it's very confusing, all of this stuff. Because I keep harping on this class, like, God is not bound by the retribution principle to give good things to good people and bad to bad people. But he can if he wants. He still does sometimes. And so I'm not saying that he... He's not bound by it or bound by not it, if that makes sense. But um, trying to figure that out is confusing. And we can we can get wrapped around... Like, our brain can get just all messed up trying to figure that out. We can get stuck on that, and, and we'll never figure it out. Yeah, Haley. I think part of our, I think part of our issue is we like to have things in categories, right? 
Yeah, we want to. Yeah, we want to categorize things. And usually the category is, if it makes me happy, it's a good thing. If it makes me sad, it's a bad thing. And those are not necessarily correlated always. There's so much complexity to this. And and back to the complexity of the universe. God knows how things working out in the end, how he wants things to go. Problem is, we, we are still the... The gremlin in the works, all of us collectively are gremlins in, in, the, in the machine of throwing things off because we're, we're still allowed to do what we want to do and cause problems. Yeah, Christy. I think what it boils down to is the wisdom is what you do with what you're given no matter what it is. If you, if you see the suffering and you look at it through the godly lens, then you've got some wisdom. If you see the gift and you look at it through a godly lens, then you've got some wisdom. And you're going to do good with whatever you're given. Right. That's what God wants. But yeah, I think, that's hard to see. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That In general, godly wisdom, is, as it's being described in Job, is taking what you're given and looking at it through a godly lens. And like it says in chapter 28, I think it's chapter 28, it talks about how the fear of God is wisdom. And Proverbs says that the be- fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so that, to me, that that's that what that is the speaking to a lot is that when, you, when you're going through pain or suffering or when you're going through great times, when things are great, still fearing God and realizing that he's the one who know, he knows how this world works. He knows how you work better than you do. And trusting that Something is something is going on here that you don't understand. Yeah, David. Yeah, I don't think we're comfortable with this, but but God designed us in this world with suffering as a part of it. Um, and I've come to the conclusion that nothing that's a living organism grows without suffering, or or improves or gets better without suffering. From childbirth. Right. Yeah. And Romans 5 says that suffering leads to perseverance, which leads to character, mm-hmm. which leads to hope. And we may not want to look too closely at that verse, but it says you want hope and character mm-hmm. and perseverance, you're going to have to suffer. And, and, and good news, we all have to. You know? Right. Yeah, suffering is a part of life, and it's what helps you grow and become who you should be. Yeah, and he made it for our bodies to be stronger. We have to punish them, right? And for us to be fit, we have to deprive ourselves of things, and to have the best relationships, we have to give things up and 
separately. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm still struggling with, you know, because to your point about the original class, you know, the retribution principle, which we don't like to think that God said, and when I'm designing the world, I'm going to put in, I'm going to make human beings this way, that they respond this way when everything's great, which is they forget me. Right. And they'll come back to me when they suffer. So I got to, I got to put some suffering. Yeah, the suffering as part of the design is, is hard to stomach. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of been something we've, we've said a lot before, but suffering as a way of uh, stripping away all the things that I think are important, and it reveals the bedrock of my life. Whether I've gone through that suffering to this point in my life or it's still to come, there's going to be something that challenges me to say, where is my where is my foundation? And, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that children's song. The wise man built his house on the rocks, and the foolish man built his house on the sand. And the rains came down, and, and it really reveals where our uh, where our bedrock is. And I think that's what that's what we got kind of got to go on that journey with Job is if everything is stripped away, what's left? And does that matter? Yeah, suffering strips everything away to figure out to show what is left and where you're found, grounded. Yeah, yeah, Angela. Yeah, it's it's comforting to know that we have a God that cannot be manipulated, as you say. But it's also it's also really hard to it's like it's like this comfort that's behind a brick wall. <laughs> it's it's there, and if I can get my if I can get myself through that wall of the way I'm sure things should be, then I can get to that comfort area. But it's hard it's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, the, we're, we're asked to trust. We want to understand everything, but trusting is the key. Yeah. A long time ago, before I had children, I thought when babies were born, they were, they were blank slates until I had one. <laughs> they are not blank slate. And then when you were born, that was confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> 
told in Psalms that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. But we don't all come out with the same talents, with the same physical um, attributes, with the same with the same anything. Yeah. As we go through life, the same thing is happening. God is giving everyone something different. But the thing that we all have is what God gave mankind is how to handle it, is how to live in this life. And that's the choice that we have to make, is looking at that uh, example that Jesus gave and the laws that God gave us to navigate this life. I don't know why some babies are born with less intelligence or less physical characteristics that make them strong than others. But God says that all of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. We just all have to take that example of Jesus. He's told us how to live. And we've, you know, several people have said it. Yeah, the trust trust is hard. Um, It it made me think, what you're saying made me think of the the beginning and the end of that video that we just watched, talking about how these three wisdom books are kind of, they kind of go together as far as Proverbs is like, if you make the right choices and you do the right things, everything's going to be hunky-dory for you. Then Ecclesiastes is like, eh, maybe not. Sometimes just bad things happen. And then Job is there to kind of answer this question, is God really just? But, and the answer to me for, for, for all of it is trusting God. And he, he knows what's going on better than we do. Yeah, Christy? I know we've said this before in this class, but these things are simple, but they're not easy. Yeah, simple is not the same as easy. Yes. Absolutely. Last comment, and then I'll have to close out. Your last. (laughs) Better be good.
Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you know, kids need to sometimes listen to their parents and they say, because I said so. Did you hear that? <laughs> and that's kind of what God says to us in a lot of ways. Uh, well, a little bit over time, and I've, I've got a bunch of stuff that I didn't get to talk to about, like all, all the connection stuff, and I'll try to hit that quickly at the beginning of the next class. But um, thanks for being here. We'll see you guys next time.